0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode is a fascinating deep dive into the making of the groundbreaking drama, The Third Day. Host Emma Cox is joined by producer Adrian Sturges and directors Philippa Lothorpe and Mark Munden as they discuss creating the show's dreamlike aura, working with its unique location and the references that inspired them. We hope you enjoy.
1: Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before I introduce my panel, I'm just going to uh, describe The Third Day. I'm sure you all watched The Link or perhaps you watched it live, but just in case you haven't. Um, the Third Day is a critically acclaimed, ambitious, visceral TV drama and theatrical event set on an alluring and mysterious British island, taking viewers into its captivating and distorted world where all is not as it seems. It consists of three separate but interconnected stories that all take place on OC Island. Summer directed by Mark Munden, winter directed by Philippa and Autumn, which was the live event, which was broadcast on Sky Arts and online. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Mark and Philippa and Adrian Sturgis, the producer. Welcome everybody. Thanks five minutes. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I uh, Yes, as Laura alluded to, I, I did go on set uh, and, and saw what you guys were creating and, of course, enjoyed the entire experience as well. So I'm uh, very excited to be doing this uh, tonight. Um, just a quick note before we begin, also I, I know that Laura mentioned the Q&As. Do please get your questions in. I'm going to discuss them throughout. I'm not going to wait until the end, so feel free to ask away right now and, and I'll ask as many as I possibly can as we go through the event. Um. But Adrian, I wonder whether we could begin with you. Perhaps could you tell me a little about uh, what stage was this project? it had been, I think, uh, sort of created by Felix Barris and Dennis Kelly years previously. They talked about it for a very long time. What stage was it at when you got involved?
2: Um, yes, yeah, so I think it was you know, the early spring of last year that um, I, I got sent the, well, initially just episode one, but then quite quickly uh, several other episodes and met with Dennis and and Felix, and and at that point, I know they were already uh, in talks with Mark. Um, so actually, things sort of came into into focus quite quickly at that point. So, but yeah, I think there was quite a long journey before that, where um, it had been, you know, a, a, an idea in in both of their heads for for some time, but sort of came into into focus in terms of the writing when Felix had discovered O.C. Island. Well, obviously, people had been there before him. But, but he discovered it for himself and got Dennis to go there. And, and that informed a lot of the writing, um, which then flowed. So, um, and initially, so Sky had, uh, had, had had put it through some development, uh, and Plan B became involved, the, the brilliant production company in, in America, run by Dee Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner. Um, and they'd brought HBO in. So there was, or, well, it helped bring that all together. so that that sort of structure existed, and we we the first thing we did was go to to Jude to ask him to play Sam, which brilliantly he said yes, so that that was the 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 early part of the journey for me.
1: Yes, Jude Law, of course, uh, as you say, who, who plays Sam and, and the other talent uh, of, of the winter being uh, Naomi Harris, of course. We will talk about the casting. We'll talk about working uh, with those two, obviously. Uh, and working on O.C. Island, which I imagine was a huge challenge. We'll, uh, I'm sure everybody will be interested to know exactly what that was like. Um, before we do, Mark, why did you say yes to this project?
3: Um, I love the scripts. Um, I've, I've worked with. Dennis before on two series of Utopia so I knew him quite well and um I just I I love the fact that it was I mean he's a very special writer um I mean apart from being a very funny man and writing in a sort of totally unique way in terms of a sort of Uh, of a reality i mean he writes how people speak and think um he's also a a prophetic writer um i mean he he just thinks very deeply about uh uh, you know about the world so so you know for instance i mean it was no accident that as we were going into post-production of um of the third day we were Hit by a virus straight out of Utopia, which he'd written sort of seven years before. <laughs> I mean, you know, sort of uncanny. But um, but um, I, I loved the mythology of the of, of what he created, and I loved uh, Jude Law's character's journey. And I thought it was an opportunity to do something sort of quite experimental and something unique with with um, with this what what appeared to be a folk horror to start with but to take it somewhere else much more esoteric and more political.
1: Yes he really is prophetic I, I completely concur with that uh, and Philip how about you because you had a a handful of misgivings I believe about some of the sort of violent aspects didn't you?
0: <laughs> like um, Mark the scripts were so wonderful and Dennis is such a rare and brilliant writer and you you think that you're getting one thing and you're getting six or seven other different layers of something incredibly profound and moving alongside the thriller or whatever but yeah I, I was a tiny bit worried by all the violence <laughs> in my episodes but then I really got into it I'm afraid <laughs> yeah I took to it like a duck to water <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, no, I, I absolutely love doing it, and and I agree with everything that Mark said. His his writing is incredibly profound, mm-hmm. and multi layered, and incredibly complex, and and a huge emotion in it. You know, he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant writer, so I I couldn't resist. Yes,
1: let's talk a little about the the preparation when you first read the scripts. I mean, there are so many themes, aren't there? I think in his work, it's very complex, it's very multi layered, and Of course, it's about grief and it's about isolation, but it's also about nationalism to an extent. There's a political undercurrent. There's all these things bubbling away. So what do you do to prepare? Which of these things appeal to you? What do you decide to pick out? Can you talk me through your processes?
0: You go first, Mark.
3: (laughs) Um, Well, actually, what I didn't say about the script was the main thing was the theme of grief. I mean, when Philippa and I... First met, we just talked for about two hours about grief, you know, and and the you know the piece is very much a, a piece about the malign effects of not being able to grieve properly. So, so that was um that. Yeah, that was a that was a big influence because I thought that there was something that in this writing that I hadn't worked with with Dennis before, which was it was a really really emotional piece. Um, so. My my first thought was, you know, this is this is unique in as much as it has all the sort of elements that I'd worked with before on Utopia, but also has this extra emotional element where you really invest in in this man and what he's been through. Um so so it was really about sort of digging that out. Um but uh I mean how one prepares is a big is a big question. I mean, uh, um, I mean, I suppose the first thing was really about, you know, how do we cast how do we cast this piece? Mm-hmm. You know, what sort of people are in it. You know, I, I mean I'm I'm as 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 I've got more experience making television, I've realized that it 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 really helps to have names in your television piece i mean in you know in the early days when i was sort of like callow and arrogant i'd just be going oh well we've got to go for the best actors and it doesn't matter who who we have but to get someone like jude law attached um and you know as a name above the title it just it just you know it draws people to watch it so that was the first thing and then of course you know to have Emily Watson and Paddy Constantine and Catherine Wardston all interested in the script. You just got a great ensemble mix there. So that, you know, that was the first, that was the first bit of the, you know, of the prep, as it were.
1: And I've seen that with Jude on board at such an early stage, that would be a massive help, of course, in then getting the rest of the cast to agree. I mean, who's not going to want to start with Jude Law, right?
3: Yeah, no, it was... A, it was uh, well, I don't know. I can't speak for, you know, I can't speak for Emily and and Paddy and Catherine. I don't know. You know, the, the script is obviously a big draw, I think. You know, and obviously, you know, Jude is such a, apart from being an incredible actor, he's just a lovely person. You know, he's just a brilliant person. He's quite a, you know, remarkable person. But um, uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. think, Yeah. I mean, I, I I I think it would be simplistic to say they did it because Jude Law did it. I'm sure, you know, it was as much to do with the script as it was to do with anything else. Of
0: course. And Philippa, how about you? Your preparation? I think I think again, as as and um, when you're creating something like this world, the job of the directors is to create that world first of all with the people, as as Mark's brilliantly described you're getting all those different flavors and by casting those unusual people against each other and Naomi and the girls in the second trilogy, you're getting this incredible flavor and this world that you're building. And um, our fantastic casting director Shaheen Baig has brilliant taste and and also quirky taste. And so this, this fantastic ensemble emerged of really interesting looking people and f- fabulous actors. And what I think the other thing that Mark said is absolutely true that on British TV, isn't it a treat to get to watch Naomi Harris and Jude Law in action mm-hmm. and Paddy Considine and Emily mm-hmm. what, You know what I mean? We, we, we get them in films all the time, but what a treat to get those guys together. Um, so I think that you create the world with your cast and then you create the world with your designer. And your dop so, um, and the worlds of summer and winter had to be quite different and distinct from each other, and and and, and things that happened on the island in between. So that was was a fantastic experience working with Beck Rainford, who Mark had worked with before on on um, National Treasure, hadn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: yeah. So of that- course, you know we had O.C. as well, didn't
0: and we? had O.C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's finding finding those locations and then working with your designer to create that world is is the the job of the director really to to make that world a believable place that you want to visit. Or, I
1: want to really sort of drill down into the differences between summer and winter and and your separate visions. Um, before I speak to you both about that, Adrian, I just wonder if you can give us a sort of overview about. How that worked, and those early discussions about how to make them look separate, and what consistency you were looking for, if any.
2: Yes, yeah, so, uh, and what was great was that we had the full support of the networks. To you know, it's obviously quite unusual to have two AAA directors on one project in this way. So, and, and what what the both networks were wonderful at is supporting that, because obviously you can't really do that unless you you know provide the resources that are necessary. So we that sort of equality was really a, a key part of it. But then, you know, I think a lot of it was, you know, I, you know by its nature, a television production, you know, in reality, we only had a small gap in between the two sets of filming. In fact, Philippa started filming directly next to Marx, and then because of Catherine Waterston had really complicated schedule um, availability, she was in a film that's actually gone on to do very well with Nessa Kirby. Um, on the festival circuit you'll get to see in the coming year but uh, they were also scheduling that film was set in two seasons and was filming in eastern in romania so we lost Catherine for quite a big chunk of time and then uh, that was always the thing that we had to schedule around it so there's a really complicated scheduling thing going on but but it but in in fact you know that the crew that the crew was mostly the same uh across both summer and winter apart from key people such as director of photography obviously and editors uh and and then first ad and so on but but essentially it was the same crew which had its benefits because everybody knew the island really well and knew how things worked um but the key thing i think we wanted dennis felix jeremy dd myself already felt we wanted two directors to have their own vision and their own you know ability to to run with whatever they wanted to do with the material and so we, we didn't try to make it, you know, we didn't, there was no kind of, you know, sometimes you do a a book of rules about a, a series or something. There's nothing like that. And it, we, we encouraged everyone to, you know, to see them as two separate like mini series in a way. Um, so, and I think that paid real dividends, but it's quite an unusual setup, I think. I don't think I've come across it anywhere else.
1: Absolutely. One of the many groundbreaking things about this series, I think. Absolutely. Um, Mark, do you want to talk me through for, from your point of view? You said that you met up with Philly, Philippa. You had conversations about it, but you approached it very much as, as your own project.
3: Yes. I mean, uh, we didn't really talk about styles or, you know, like what how we were going to do it. I mean, we really talked about the themes of the piece, you know, I, I, and um, my. Uh, you know, my, my approach is always to excavate as much as possible from the script. And it was very different from Winter Summer because um, it was really about this man who um, has been through something horrendous and is uh, somewhat unreliable. I suppose you're you're seeing him as unreliable, but he's taking you into this world um and it's a sort of unique and isolated world um and my approach was really to 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 tell it through not only just to 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 tell it through his eyes but to make the audience believe that the world that you're seeing was um the world that he's seeing as it were so as you drill deeper into his psychosis, you get closer to the sort of psychotic appearance of the island so that 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 was the main approach to it, and it was very much about making it a a first person viewpoint. The script's not actually written like that, but actually seeing this island through his eyes which, which sounds like a banal thing to say but it was really about sort of you know trying to make that that live in a in a, in a sort of you know as you can as you see in the second and third episodes more sort of hallucinatory way.
1: Yes if I remembered correctly that there are, there are whole scenes of Jude running around it in the woods that actually weren't in the script that, that you came up with is, is that correct?
3: Well there's a there's a lot of downtime in the script while he's waiting for the for the uh, courseway to yeah. open <laughs> you know i mean you can only get i mean it's true you can only get off the island twice a day you know yeah. and the 12 hours apart you know and uh and 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 actually, in reality, you can get off the island four times a day because it's high tide, so you can get a boat. But of course, you know w- there was only one boat on the island, and it, it, it you know it, it was kaput. So so <laughs> so you know so there was a lot of downtime written in the script where he's waiting to get off, and he gets into you know uh, you know in the first episode he's he, he sees um, uh, uh, Jason, and he's is sort of a contingent sort of uh cause sort of sort of having arguments on the beach about something he doesn't quite understand he thinks it's about him. Um but in the second episode he has Time to Kill. Um and um yeah I mean I suppose you know he walks in he walks in the woods, you know, he goes for a walk walk in the woods and it it was I it just occurred to me that I wondered whether you could convey to the audience um the ambiguity of whether that was real or not or whether it was a dream or not or whether it was a lie or not in some sort of way and it and a lot of the approach to it started from that because because it, it's so hyper real you know we we you know that the sun is shining on this incredible forest um with uh, hearts tongue ferns and you know uh you know, beautiful foliage, and um, and it just felt very idyllic in some sort of way, and 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 uh, you know, it was that that was the sort of jumping-off point for a sort of taking the audience into a a sort of parallel world, as it were, where they're they're experiencing it, experiencing it how he is experiencing it, but they're questioning it at the same time.
1: Philippa, how was it for you arriving on this island where, you know, a lot of the crew, as Adrian said, have been there for weeks already. They're quite established. And of course, you are making your own stamp on it. You know, this is your own sort of three episodes. What was that experience like for you? How did you approach that?
0: They were they were a brilliant crew, actually. And also, we. while Mark was shooting, I was busy prepping with the DOP and meeting them all before. So I was just incredibly grateful that Mark had done the hard thing first of of going on the island and and he came up to me. I never forget, I was trudging around the island with Adrian and he came up to me and said, this is the most difficult thing I have ever done in my life. And I thought, say, sake, what the hell have I let myself in for? Is what I thought when I was trudging around the island. Um, And it's a very odd place, um, OC Island. It's quite haunting Mm -hmm. and very, very atmospheric. And of course, Mark was creating this amazing, vivid, almost, as he said, hyper real, almost fairy tale world uh, and that the winter scripts were very, very different from that. It's it's a woman who's in totally in possession of her senses coming, bringing her children into this dark, broken place, um, which is almost like a, like descending into a kind of weird hell. Whereas he, it, you know, it had to be almost the opposite side of the coin from what Mark had done in the summer when when she arrives on the causeway the lovely fish um hanging drying object uh, sort of structures were all burnt and everything's broken down it's 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 covered in rubbish you know it's it's the it's a very different place from the idyllic alluring sort of place where um, sam comes to start with yes so what was so much fun and I think Mark did it absolutely brilliantly, and I was on the edge of my seat watching his episodes, But was to create things, a sense of tension and scare, which I haven't had much opportunity to do. I don't think women directors get asked to do this material very often. And that was one thing I was so thrilled about, that these guys were asking me to do this scary thing. And I found I absolutely loved it. It was just so much fun. You know, how do you once you've created your world, you know, where do you put the camera to get into that subjective point of view that Mark was talking about with, with Jude and, you know, in him, is, is it real, isn't it real? And with Naomi, it was a different thing. It was saying she, this is this vulnerable woman in this world, but what the hell is she doing there? And why is she bringing her children there? And there's danger all around her. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a director, that's like a gift, a, a gift of great fun to, in, in, in creating that, and capturing that amazing landscape and putting your humans in there.
1: Yes, absolutely. We, we've had a question about the, the uh, directing styles being different. In fact, um, from an attendee who, who said, um, "Mark felt more emotionally cooler, whereas Philip Phillips was more emotionally heightened." I don't know how you both feel about the way that that question is phrased. Would
0: you agree? I think it, I think it comes out of the script and the writing because the the first three are about. Just Sam and his experiences of the second are about Naomi and uh, Helen I should say yes. and, and her experiences and it, it, it all goes back into Dennis's writing doesn't do you, what do you think Mark
3: um I think that's right I mean I, I I think there's a lot of unanswered questions in summer which are answered in winter um so there's a sort of uh, you know there's an abstract quality to it um I think I don't know whether it's emotionally cooler. I mean, I, you know, the end of episode three is pretty emotional with um, Sam, fi- you know, Thinking. appearing to find his son, you know, and following mm-hmm. him into, you know, staying on the island in order to stay with his son. Um, but I, you know, I can see that there's, you're probably on, um, you're much more rooted in, in winter in understanding art, you know, now, this is what's going on. And it feels like it's a very, uh, you know, I, 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 I love, I I have to say that I loved watching it after making summer because it, it, it was just, you know, it's just a fantastic ride. Um, uh, but it answers a lot of questions, which I think the audience might find that they're a little bit, um, adrift within that world are are asking all these questions about what's going what is really going on at the heart of it
0: yeah that's what actually comes in the writing because Helen Naomi's character Helen is on a quest to find something and she finds she wants answers and so in the very narrative you're getting you're getting answers to stuff that Mark set up in in the summer yes
1: We've also had several questions actually asking about influences. Now, I know that Dennis Kelly has spoken about the Wicker Man being an influence on him, Um, but I don't know whether that then visually, you know, you took on that influence as well or whether that was just Dennis's thing. Was that a deliberate influence? Um,
0: I've never watched the Wicker Man. Sorry (laughs) to confess to my (laughs) compadres, I find it too scary. (laughs) I, I literally can't watch it. I used a lot of amazing stills photography because I, I wanted my winter to look drained of color, and so in an opposite way of summer. So I used a lot of black and white photography, mm-hmm. um, Kudelka's photography, and Sally Mann and her strange portraits, self portraits of herself, which she did on that copper thing. So I had like hundreds of images that I used, and that the DOP also used. Um, So that's what I did for winter, but what did, what did you do, Mark?
3: Um, well, I have seen the Wicker Man. I mean, um, I think it has, obviously it has a lot in common with the Wicker Man in as much as, as it's about an isolated people who are very religious, um, who are somewhat cut off from the mainland and suspicious of outsiders. Um, but I think the big difference for me is the fact that um, the inhabitants of Osi have this mythology where they feel responsible for the rest of the world. They see OSI as being the soul of the world. And therefore, whatever happens on their island echoes throughout the world. It's the ramifications of their echo throughout throughout the world. So they feel a sort of responsibility. And in that sense, they they're not disconnected, you know. They're connected with the real world, and that's where their um, their anxiety and their fanaticism comes from—a sort of devotion to making everything all right with the world, you know. So I think it's 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 very different, fun, you know, fundamentally different from the wicker man mm-hmm. um, in terms of influence I mean you know for me it was a piece about grief anyway you know and and if one's talking about sort of people not being able to grieve uh uh satisfactorily or uh you know find a way of grieving and 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 these two people Helen and Sam have grieved very very differently um then the obvious uh you know reference must be don't look now uh, you know, which is exactly that. Although that's not set on an island, or you know. So I think superficially, the Wicker Man thing is a is a um, is a reference, um, and obviously there's been films like Midsummer as well since then. But um, but I sort of feel like really at its heart, it's it's not that film at all. Mm-hmm.
1: Adrian, there's a, a couple of questions about OC, um, and, and obviously been lovely to talk to Mark and Philip about, about the challenges of, of working on OC. But uh, first of all, we've been asked, how did OC feel about their portrayal? Because, of course, it is a real island, and what's fascinating about Dennis's script actually is that he's taken a lot of real facts. So he's taken the history of OC as being this place where, uh, you know, it was a rehab center, really, wasn't it? Um, and so he's taken these real facts and this real island and he's kept the name OC and yet, of course, created this completely uh, made up community. So what was it like working with the people who owned OC, the people who lived there? How did they react to, to you guys turning up with your trucks? And I mean, did they even know much about what the story was?
2: Oh, they absolutely did. And and in fact, Nigel, who so the island's privately owned. I mean, it, it's got an ancient history, as, as, as is alluded to in, in the story. But. And the you know the causeway being built by the Romans is is all true, um, but it, it's 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 been a private place for a long time. So Nigel uh, Frieda, who currently owns the island, has been a you know was always very interested in it actually, and he, he makes a small cameo in the series as he plays Charrington in the the photograph of Charrington on the wall of the pub. That's him. So, <laughs> um, but um, so he so it's been you know he's a music producer and. You know, they have a, a music studio there, uh, but he also, you know, the main sort of, um, the business of the island is that it's rented out. It's, you know, you can rent the whole island or you can rent just bits of it. Uh, some of it's on Airbnb and so on. So I think he was quite interested in the, you know, what, what the publicity of it might bring as well as, you know, and, and actually he read the scripts and, you know, we, we, we took that, we, we thought we couldn't really do what we were going to do without bringing him into, to it all. And um, he, he, was very supportive of it, so I mean, it was it was a challenge because um, you know, especially we needed quite big periods of time both to prep and shoot on the island for both blocks, and of course it was across wedding season, which is big for them. So we, you know, it was the sort of negotiations were quite complicated in terms of acquiring the time we needed, which was premium time for them as a business. Um, but you know they they were fantastic, and you know and the live event, which I'm sure we'll, we'll speak about, that you know that that had to move obviously when COVID happened. So it was originally going to be in July, moved to September. So oh, sorry October, um, and that, another big sort of logistical thing there, and negotiations with them were were, were key for that. So yeah, but, yeah they, they, it, it was great. So, I mean that that's the most sort of as the you know I know obviously TV shows. And films often have a very close relationship with like a major location, and but this is like the biggest one I've had, where you know it's a whole island that you're you're using, and um, that was it worked very well, I think, in the end. But it was certainly not without its challenges, as I'm sure Mark and Philippa will mention.
1: Did you actually have to build or or dress the set, and how much was already there for you?
2: Well, the I mean the the key sort of uh, exterior, obviously the causeway is real. the 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 centre of the village we. Is essentially as it is, but we painted the mural, obviously, and things like that, and we we dressed some older some newer buildings to look older, but the interior of the pub was a set that we built at three mills um and then a lot of the other locations i mean the big house exterior obviously that's really there we built the pier um which was quite a big deal, but worked pretty well and had a fantastic sound that both directors incorporated brilliantly in the design of it all was it clanked away in the air but um the um but uh, the interior of the house was a massive stately home that we found in Kent and there were lots of i mean the, there were brilliant things all around the island many of which the inspiration so there was a pillbox on the island but it was quite tiny so that had inspired Dennis and Felix to write that in but the actual pillbox we used was another one that we that Mark had discovered in um in Essex, not too far away, but it's actually a radio, a radar station um, uh, that that had a sort of pillbox at the bottom of it. So things like that, we there were quite a few things that we found elsewhere. Um, and then it was only really the major set interior that we built was the was the pub.
1: Mm-hmm. Mark and Philippa, do you want to talk to me about the, the challenges of filming on OC and, of course, the delight of it as well? Because, of course, you know, it's so important and you used every inch of that island to just incredible effect. Um, so I, I so it had its pros and cons, of course, but, but talk me through what those challenges were.
3: Tide. A new first so film. I mean,
0: it, 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 it was, I think, getting on and off it because of the tides. Mm. And also every time we were filming something... By the water you'd be busy filming something and the water would have moved and the you know you'd up, up the beach and you'd have to run away and plant your crew further away or further in it, it was it was a jolly difficult physically demanding um place to be and also you know not just that location of OC but the other ones we went to in Essex or, or Kent I did a little bit of filming on Dungeness mm-hmm. or, or the Isle of Sheppey you know All of the islands demanded a great amount of physicality, but getting around on O.C. there were only so many vehicles that could be there. Filming the crossing when when Naomi and and the girls go across in their car in the beginning of my first thing was so nerve wracking. We had to get up and go move over to the mainland, get up at five o'clock in the morning, and we only had one go at doing it because you could only go across once with the crane. And we ha- we, I was in the crane with Doug, the, the operation, the DOP, shrieking with excitement because the sun was incredible. It just came up with like this silver disc across that, that, that opening. And it was like the most it was the, the magic of OC giving me these amazing shots. So they did. It, it was like this magical place that could give and take away. Yes, with one hand. What
3: about you, Mark? Well, it's got to be the tide. I mean, it's a bit of a a boring answer. You know, the thing is that there's a four hour window when you could get out uh, over the causeway, but actually the difference between the water being over the causeway and then just not to be seen. Uh, anywhere else is about half an hour so so everything moves really really fast so if you're filming you know the 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 tide coming in over the causeway as i uh, uh as we did for episode three when um sam's trying to get across the causeway on foot um uh you know, it comes in incredibly fast. So, so you know, you can't film it in a day. You know, I think there was—I'm—I'm I'm not sure how many days we took to film that. It was second units and what have you? You know, it must have been about four or five days. Adrian will probably know. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, yeah, it, no, it's just the tides really. Yeah,
0: super challenging. After I did a film called Swallows and Amazons with kids and boats and water, I saw never ever to film with kids and boats and water ever again in my life so lo and behold there was I with kids and boats and water filming Naomi having to swim across the causeway which it took seven I think seven different filming slots to get that that whole escape and I had the stupid idea of trying to get Naomi to do that for real and not in a tank which seemed like such a great idea at the time. um but it looks so authentic and it just wouldn't know if you had done it in a time that's that's what i said emma that's what i said (laughs) but when you're stuck on a boat in the middle of the tossing (laughs) waves with two kids and a very scared actress (laughs) and 30 marine team around you shouting over the storm um it was quite hair raising but it does come out in the it does look like that in the shots yeah it looks scary
1: it's all scary I should explain to people as well. I'm, I'm sure this is kind of obvious from watching it, but you can't exactly go across that causeway quickly either, can you? Because it's full of potholes, and it takes what twenty minutes minimum, I suppose. So it's not an easy thing from that point of view at all, either.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. <clears throat> you, we we also talk about the the live event, of course. You you mentioned it briefly there, um, Adrian. It moved. It was supposed to be in the summer, and it was supposed to be a ticketed event for for fans to go along, and of course. Covid hit. So, were there discussions about not doing it at all, or was it immediately? No, we are determined to make this work one way or another. Can you talk me through what happened?
2: Well, yeah. So the, I mean, the two. I mean, we we were very fortunate to have finished filming everything in terms of you know we'd done a little bit of pickups um, in February, but we had everything in the can for for both summer and winter when the first lockdown hit. But we had an enormous amount of post production to do. You know, a huge amount of VFX and sound and obviously a lot of editing um so we i mean there there was partly the knowledge that we wouldn't get through that in time in order to hit the original dates for the live event anyway because obviously the live event had to had to land halfway through the series but but then also we knew that we'd have to reconfigure it because the chances of being able to organize a big public event even ticketed i mean the advantages obviously were that it was outdoors and, you know, and a, a whole island, so a lot of space. So if anything was going to be able to occur, that was more likely than a lot of theatre, you know, interior theatre work. But now I think what was great is that everyone, I mean, I remember, I remember very strongly the live event element of the this project was one of the things that absolutely made me want to do it. And, you know, I, I went out to New York and watched Punch Drunk's production of Sleep No More at the very start of our process to really get into the space of it and love that and and everyone I think you know really pushed very hard to keep the the live event as however we could do it and I, it was an extraordinary leap of faith for particularly I think Sky you know were massively instrumental in, in that and Cameron Roach hugely championed it um, and obviously a really really tricky thing to do and so the, the, the transfer to it being um, a single camera live streamed event was a, a, a brilliant innovation and and also one one nice thing that that allowed to happen was another collaboration element in that you know if we, originally the live event would have essentially been a punch drunk production using all the elements that we'd put together for the tv show using the cast using the design we collaborated with them on the design and so on all the way through but then with with the with the final version that did happen Mark worked with Felix um and you know to make to make the sort of interaction is essentially a 12-hour television episode but in much more in the world of kind of slow cinema and so on so and Mark Mark will be able to speak about that much more eloquently than me
1: I mean, Mark, it was astonishing. I, I know that, that various people had said in interviews beforehand, you can wander in and out the room, you don't have to sit and watch it for 12 hours, which was my plan. And I tell you, within not very long at all, I just couldn't, I couldn't leave the room. It was so addictive. And it was also really lovely being on sort of Twitter at the same time and seeing other people have the same experience. And we were all watching together and sort of, you know, it was astonishing. Um, how, how was the experience for you?
3: Um even more hellish than shooting the third day's tv series (laughs) i mean it's just such a madly ambitious thing i mean um i you know i i love the fact that people you know really got into it i mean it was just like a. I mean the the first of all you know that the, the live show I, w- I was sort of looking forward to just going along and attending as an audience member first of all you know I you know and in fact I'd issued a whole load of invitations to all my mates to come along as well but um, then when it didn't you know and I, I think the thing the thing which I love about punch drunk is just the fact that they just you know it's a totally immersive experience I mean people that have been to a punch drunk show will, will know this but there's something about it about them taking you out of your comfort zone in, in that environment, which I just I don't think it's matched by any other art form. It's really it's really extraordinary and you don't know who's an actor and who isn't, whether something's supposed to happen or whether it isn't, you know, whether it's an accident. Um and there was no way, you know, and, and when 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 um you know uh we realized that we you know we couldn't do it as a show, Felix realized it couldn't he could couldn't do it as a show um he talked about it being a sort of uh you know filming it as a as a tv episode um and i just i thought you know i just suggested that maybe it should just be one single point of view for 12 hours um and that's when all the trouble started (laughs) because because um you know you can't have a single camera for 12 hours or you can't have one operator for 12 hours and you know you know what do you do with the you know, the sd cards and you know what's it record on all those sort of things you know um and it you know then the rest of it was logistics but what i was sort of determined to do was sort of do something which um i think they wanted to do which was to sort of do something quite experimental with television. I mean, originally they wanted to break the fourth wall by inviting people into a TV show and having all those characters there, which was a brilliant idea. You know, you go to a punch drunk show and then, you know, you're suddenly in the middle of the third day TV series and there's Jude Law, etc. Um, and we couldn't do that, but I did think that we could do something which was experimental in the world of the moving image. Um, and 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 that was to sort of have a sort of a totally um, sort of meditative, uh, give people a meditative experience, but still have the sort of eerie feeling of that, the third day world of OC, you know, and um uh uh and that's what was behind the, the what the, you know the single camera but all the the drama of that day was always something that was going to be as part of the live show which was um the the ceremony that you see them rehearsing for in the second episode of the series um writ large writ, you know over over whatever it was four five six hours you know which was a passion play basically you know and it was a question of sort of scrutinizing that in a in a sort of uh in a in a way which you you know you 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 couldn't turn away from I suppose that was the idea behind it it it
1: was mesmeric uh and and as I say twitter just really made me laugh so many people saying. I don't know why I've been watching Jude Law digging a hole for an hour, but I can't stop. (laughs) (laughs) And it's absolutely true. Uh, Did you wake up that morning and look at the weather and think, my God, but actually I think in the end, maybe it even, it just really added to the atmosphere, didn't it?
3: Well, the day before was a dress rehearsal and it totally pissed down all day. (laughs) I mean, for 12 hours and we, you know, everyone was just absolutely soaking. Um, on the day I think it started off rainy and then ended up sunny. I mean it was all over the place. It's an island, you know. Um, but but we didn't really have any contingency plans, you know. Um uh and that was part of the sort of um a part of the the fun of it in a way, you know. And and the, the other thing to say about Punch Drunk is they're this incredible repertory company who you know, they use the same actors as there were over 100 actors. And um, that, that, you know, they work really, really well together. It's an, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a system of playmaking, which is to do with uh inventing these improvisatory scenes uh you know uh from scratch and so they're very able to sort of steer the drama wherever they want and in fact in their shows you know a lot of what they do is they guide audience members who are sort of um um pliable and 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 um uh, uh you know in different ways so so they're they're very good at manipulating the the, the drama, and and so we hope that they just, you know, if it did pour down with rain, they'd find a way to, to, you know, to to make it real, you know, in some sort of way.
1: <laughs> well, congratulations! It was just, mm-hmm. it was astonishing. um We have we have about two minutes left, and quite a few questions actually. So I just want to get through a few of these, uh, if I may. um One question from an audience member is: Who is your audience exactly? I don't know. Whether you were aiming at a particular audience, hmm.
0: <laughs> really nice people, <laughs> our audience, clever, interesting, <laughs> appreciative. Yeah, I, I tell you who I I think a lot of young people watched it. Interesting, so I I think a lot a lot. I know this is anecdotal, <laughs> but I know a lot of young people who've absolutely loved it in a kind of culty way. Who who I who don't know me or you know don't know Mark but they've 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 been like watching it together and you know getting scared and sort of having that communal experience maybe the lockdown or semi lockdown that we were in helped that
1: yes but
0: yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't think we ever discussed who the audience was is
1: that
0: something really as a director you
1: think about or, or is that not to your job
3: well I think it, I mean you know it's, it, it's partly a genre thing, isn't it? I mean, I thought it was just a fantastic drama when I read the yeah. script and, and I, I think it is, you know, if one has to talk about a genre, it's a drama, you know, it's about the effects, as I said before, the malign effects of grief, you know, and, and uh, but um, I think within that, it has these sub genres of, of, of horror. Um, and from, you know, there are, you know, familiar tropes from folk horror and other types of horror and, and thrillers, you know, mm. um, so it's whoever enjoys those things. And I think you know audiences are clever enough to spot all that sort of stuff now. You know, television audiences, and you know, th- you know they enjoy the the bars of of, the, of of that. So, so um, I, I think it probably skews more towards young audiences, you know, because other people might be repelled by the violence. But um, I don't know.
0: I think I think we I don't think I thought of the audience in terms of who they would be, but I, I definitely thought of the audience in terms of wanting to grip them and make sure that they were really hooked on the edge of their seat. So yeah. I, in terms of that, that's a very important. You really want to reach your audience emotionally as well and really grab that, you know, really get to their heart in those scenes with Jude and and Naomi when they're when she says, that's not my son, you know, it's, it's so heartbreaking. So there you're absolutely wanting to reach the audience, but as to who they were, it's a different thing, I think.
1: That leads me nicely, actually, Philippa, on to a question for you, which is, um, how did you decide, Philippa, to approach the bloody themes of birth and motherhood in the winter scripts?
0: Well, they are, those scenes of motherhood or the birth, Scenes are doing a different job from just being a birth scene. They are about um, a kind of, again, it is, it's quite mythological the way that Catherine's character is treated. And this is the birth of a new saviour, but we don't know that yet. Mm. But also it's the, the midwife in that scene is Helen who's lost a child. So there's so much subtext and so many layers going on in that scene. So that's what I was really striving for. Yes, the baby is being born, but what are all the other levels and what are the other meanings in that scene and the tenderness between two women? I found a beautiful reference of a photograph of of a, um, a, a black woman's hand on a white woman's hand after a birth, and I, I I kept that and I I used that and when we were filming it and also getting the camera so close and intimate because it's a very intimate thing, delivering a, a baby or having a baby delivered. So i wanted it to feel so tender and intimate, yet these women really were enemies, which we discovered, not enemies, but you know, we discovered they were on opposite sides of the coin in a minute later. But yeah. that's the clever thing about Dennis's writing. It never stays still, and it always is turning everything on its head the whole time. So you're going one direction, then he wants to surprise you with another thing. So. I think a lot of that was in his writing.
1: As we're talking about the, the themes of motherhood, we should also have a little nod towards the, the girls, of course, who played Helen's daughters. You said earlier that you never wanted to work with children, and, and yet
0: <laughs> there you were. Yeah, How it, it, They're incredible
1: actresses.
0: I did, I did want to work with children. It was the boats and the water I didn't want to work with <laughs> again. But, uh, but children, no, I, I, I love, I do really enjoy working with young people, really young people who've not done much. It's exciting. Um, and these happened to be very young, young people who had not done much. And little Charlotte, who was nine, had just been in a drama group. She'd never done anything before. Mm. And, and Nico Parker had done something before, but not nothing like this, where you had to, you know, she's only 14. She had to dig deep into herself with really hard themes mm. of, of the loss of a brother, you know, really, really tough. And it was quite scary because those... Kids had to be as good as the adults. They had to survive in that amazing cast and hold their own. So, yeah, that was a bit scary. But but the girls w- were brilliant. Naomi was fantastic with them as well, and the crew were, uh, you know, they they made a good atmosphere for them. And we d- did a lot of. I mean, it's a different directing children, but it it, it was exciting as well because they're so both of them so authentic and yeah. and. You know, although Charlotte always Charlotte really wanted to see all the scary bits, but of course she wasn't allowed. She begged <laughs> me to go into the to see the scary sheep with its <laughs> <chopped There's> trails <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. No, she wasn't allowed to. <laughs> I'm sure they will both have very
1: long careers. You brought something absolutely fantastic out of both of them. Um another question, this one is for you, Mark. How did you and Jude prepare for filming? Was Jude completely immersed in the role?
3: uh yeah i mean he's he's very strong and very fit and yeah just very healthy so um in terms of the physical uh side of the role he was you know very capable you know and actually you know all that that stuff in the live show the 12 hours of you know one hour of digging his grave and you know and dragging that boat around you know he he did say it was the hardest thing he'd ever done but um but he, but but actually, and he was exhausted. But actually, I think he was he was able to do that. And I think someone who wasn't quite as fit as him might have uh, might have not done that. In terms of sort of, uh, I mean, I always rehearse anyway. You know, everything that I do, and I always have rehearsals in a rehearsal room. I always have done that for television stuff. And so we did a lot of rehearsing, a lot of talking about his background and what he was um where he was coming from you know um obviously there's a lot of uh self-deception that's going on there in his character as well um which is always tricky when you're preparing with an actor um and and you know obviously there's a lot of dealing with grief as well um which he had his own process for uh but we talked a lot about that and we we rehearse with Emily and Catherine and Paddy Quinslin for you know two and a half weeks or so, just taking the scenes apart, you know, making mistakes, doing you know stuff that doesn't work, um, all that sort of stuff. And it, it, you know, that that was that was you know the rehearsals are a big part of that process because they're private mm-hmm. and they're intimate and it allows actors to fail and you know to but also to take risks you know so so that was that was a big part of that
0: yeah. I totally agree with Mark yeah. it's not fashionable uh, sometimes to give directors rehearsal time but it's so important it's where you make your bonds with the actors where you can look at the scripts and just disc- chuck around ideas it's, it's 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 a lot of talking isn't it Mark a lot of yeah thing it's, it's um so yeah. so important I, I mean we wouldn't have I wouldn't have got those girls to be where they were ready for filming if we hadn't had that time or with Naomi. It was so important vital, I think. Yeah.
1: Mm.
0: Should be built into every schedule. If it there could we possibly. go. <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: campaigning for that here now. Um mm-hmm. last try and get through a couple more questions we we've got a couple of great ones actually. Um somebody says I'd love to know more about what punch trunk brought in the visual sense for a collaboration with a theatre company, the work was some of the most cinematic I've ever seen on TV. And that—that that is an interesting point, isn't it, Adrian? It's a its a theatre company and yet it's cinematic. Um, do you want to talk about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it was highly collaborative, as I briefly mentioned, in terms of the design. And so obviously, Beck Rainsford was the production designer for the TV show, but the t- you know the way punch trunk work is more on a team basis but there there's sort of several key individuals and if anyone's been to their their live events you'll know that design is a really key part of what they do in terms of you know the often enormous places that you wander around for 3 hours and you may never cover all of it and e- everything is designed so there was i mean obviously what we we needed for the television show certain things to be led by what was required for To be on screen, but then there were lots of things that you know. At the the early stage, we were preparing. um, You know, Felix had notions about what he might include in the in in the live, but it it wasn't completely formed yet. So some of that was quite early. But there there was always a continual dialogue about it all. Um, And then Mark, I know that you had some. I mean, we had there was less of a preparation time on the island before the live but and obviously we were using certain things that existed but there were some innovations there as well weren't there and then i mean what was really interesting was it wasn't just purely coming off the back of summer but there you know in fact the the live incorporated some elements of winter too in terms of you know featuring actors like paul k who you know properly appear in winter uh and then also finishing the live event in such a way that it ties into the start of winter with the, the burnt out Um, fishing huts so the things like the fishing huts that that you you see scattered around they were you know sort of the i think i can't remember who first noticed them but they're they're based on those fishing huts in the net drying huts in hastings which Mm -hmm. don't exist on oc itself but were very useful as a sort of marker of the journey of the island from whole and complete in summer and they get destroyed during autumn and then we see the aftermath in winter. Um, Mark, was there anything you wanted to add about the design part? On well, uh,
3: yeah, I mean, I think Punchdrunk are interesting because they they're a theatre company that have sort of have really been influenced by film. Anyway, you know, they did that that show, The Drowned Man, which is all about Hollywood studios. So, so I think they are sort of cinematic in the way that they work. Anyway. Um, The way that it worked, and and so a lot of that, the staging of that uh, for the live show was, you know, that I mean, all all the staging was, you know, the cinematic staging of that live show was something that Punch Drunk would have done in their live show anyway. If you see what I mean, in the twelve-hour piece. Um, I mean, the way that it worked in the TV episodes was that the all the Islanders were Punch Drunk Repertory Company. Actors, so you know when we're in the pub at the end of episode one, and everyone's getting drunk with uh, uh, Sam and Jess around the table. Um, that is punch drunk, uh, sort of in uh, inventing. You know, uh, uh, the Punch Drunk, you know, normally you'd be using supporting artists for that. You'd be using extras, you know, but actually what happened was that Punch Drunk went away. Felix went away and trained up these actors to interact with Jude and Catherine over that evening as it went on. And um, there were various scenarios which came up. And so that when we actually came to film it, it was all really cooking at various stages as they got more and more drunk. So they were the best, sort of supporting artists you'd ever have i mean it's very difficult to get that sense of things unraveling and unhinged with with um supporting artists but they brought that to it and that they, because they're so used to working together and improvising and and just um you know in, in inventing these scenarios um and the same with the uh with the um uh uh, the the rehearsal for the uh, for the uh, festival you know which they where they parade around the around the, there's a lot of improvisation in that which you just wouldn't have got from supporting artists so that was a big part of it having all the, the you know the best extras that you could ever have
1: it's interesting you mentioned that Popsy that was my introduction to the third day coming on set and watching that and the energy in that room was astonishing and all of the talent said that they found it so much easier to get into character being surrounded by that incredible energy and yeah you can absolutely see on the screen absolutely yeah um we're going there let's just end on this question from richard um were there any elements in the script that you found it difficult to translate onto
0: screen (laughs) yeah doing the swimming across the blooming cool (laughs) (laughs) that was (laughs) terrific And at first, Dennis had got this... He'd written in that the girls clung to a boy. Yeah. Naomi pulled a boy, but forgetting that boys are very heavy and they're meant to stand where they are in the water. You can't really pull one. That was bloody
3: Mm. difficult.
1: There you go. Mark, anything for you?
3: Well, this... You know, what no-one had really... um factored in was the really really strong current that exists around there so so any filming on water i mean you know there's one point where there's sort of where where the boom swinger sort of floated away but matt actually managed to keep his boom dry i don't know quite how he did it and then a rescue boat went back and hoisted him out of the water but but um yeah, no, it was. I, I'm not sure about um, uh, not being able to get it from the script onto the onto the water, but onto the uh, onto into film. But I think, um, yeah, it was. Yeah, there was. It, they were difficult conditions which you couldn't um, predict. I suppose. Absolutely,
1: Adrian. A final word from you on that. Any particular challenges for you?
2: Well, I think it was, I mentioned about Catherine's scheduling. But one of the, the side effects was that was, of that was that all of Jude's running and sort of scrabbling around in the undergrowth scenes all ended up at the very start of the schedule. He effectively spent two weeks just in the undergrowth running around. And, and then whenever Dennis visited, he'd always, he'd always see Jude doing that and going, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was just going to say one thing that have just reminded me. Adrian went off to film something for me in a second unit kind of way and got stuck on the mainland with my oh, wonderful focus puller, Paul. Dane yes I couldn't right. get back so I had to film the first bit of my going across the water without my wonderful focus puller oh, well, that Adrian. Yeah, so got sorry. A on the mainland <laughs> couldn't get there there we go well, look, anyway. everybody obviously worked
1: incredibly hard but uh, it was worth every moment it's it so it was a real feat so congratulations again to you all and thank you very much for that really super interesting Q&A we've got through all our questions so hopefully uh, there was a lot in that for all our listeners out there I hope you enjoyed that thank you so much everybody thank you thanks for
3: having us thank you thank you
0: for having us (laughs) this podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event you can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes Soundcloud Spotify or your favourite podcatcher Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.